Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from Paul's first letter to Timothy. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Let's stand together. We would love to read our text together. And here's here's what uh, the Word of God says. Paul, writing to young Timothy, beginning in verse 12, says, And I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent uh, insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Now this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible to God, who alone the wise be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we're so thankful that we have your word with us and so thankful that over 2,000 years, the New Testament, another 4,000 years for the Old Testament has been ever so faithful, ever so true. It's it's standing in the test of times never needed to be changed, never needed to be added to, never needed to be um, adapted to a certain culture, but every culture can adapt to your word. And we're so thankful for that. And this morning, Lord, again, we lift up little young Abigail to you that you would touch her and um, Lord, give her strength in her body. We also pray for Mike and Kenna and his father, who's soon going to be with you. Lord, may their time together be glorious. May it be a sweet time of fellowship. And now, Lord, we turn our attention to your word and to our hearts. May our ears be open. May our cell phones be off and our hearts ready to receive your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so it's important to keep in mind here that the Apostle Paul has, um, where he's coming from in these um, verses, verses 12 through 17, because last week we saw that he charged young Timothy. Here's Paul, the older of the two. Timothy's in his 30s. Paul, about 60. So he's this really old guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> not even the teens said amen to that. They know one day that they'll have gray hair too if the Lord tarries. But you have this, this time to where uh, Timothy is charged by Paul. He says, listen, teach no other doctrine. There's no, 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 no other doctrine that's going to save man. He says, teach no other doctrine nor give room to fables or endless genealogies. They're only going to cause disputes. Don't, do not yield to those who are bent on teaching legalism because it'll get you nowhere. Uh, and um, understand that in a nutshell, Timothy, what I want you to do is stick to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. Stick to the word of God. When, when uh, In Acts chapter uh, 1, when the people were saved, Acts chapter 2, many people are coming to faith in Christ. They... they chose to stick to the Word of God. It was so important that they continue steadfastly about the Apostles' Doctrine, the breaking of bread, prayer and fellowship. 
In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote this letter to a church in Corinth, and he, he was reminding them that they were kind of divided all over the place on you know their lifestyle. And he said, listen, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. And so you understand why we're to teach no other doctrine, why we're not to be persuaded by the majority but we're to be persuaded by the one who holds the keys to heaven in his hand. And the one that has, you know, Jesus Christ who wants to save us from, the, from eternal damnation. So he comes to this place where Paul is saying and encouraging Timothy, young Timothy, look, stick to the code. Just stick to the code. You don't have to change with culture. You don't have to change because people are changing. You stick to the one thing that will never change, and that's the Word of God. So let me remind you of something that was taking place in Ephesus because Timothy is the leading, he's leading the pastor in Ephesus right now as we, he receives this letter. But you've got to remember that there were many in Paul's day that opposed him and his authority because of the gospel that he was preaching, this doctrine that was setting people free. In, in Ephesus at the time, they had this, um, and he had been there about two or three years, uh, in 57 AD, 58 AD, he was on his third missionary journey, and he comes to this place that when he starts to preach the word and preach that Jesus Christ is the answer, people are getting saved. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, really, people that have been worshiping false gods, they had been worshiping whatever else is out there. And they were all created by man. You think of images that were, uh, you know, Artemis, and they were the goddess of Diana, and, and, and uh, they were worshiping all these false gods. And they had many, many, many craftsmen in the city. So when Paul comes preaching the gospel and people are getting saved, they're turning from all of this idolatrous stuff unto Jesus. And people are taking notice, but something that happens during that time when people are turning from the idols, then nobody's going to buy the idols. Then, and idol shops are closing down. And there was this one man named Demetrius who took notice of this. And he said, listen, we've got to do something about this. You know, he was a member of, of the craftsmen in the city. And with people turning away from Artemis, they were turning away from the false gods and unto Jesus. Some of the Ephesians were even actually turning away from magic, which played a big part in the city. And they even said in Acts chapter 19, verse 19, it says, A number of who the people who practiced magic collected their books and burned them publicly. That's quite a statement. They're saying, what we used to do is not who I am anymore. And Jesus has set me free. And all of this stuff is really garbage. And so I'm going to just burn it. I'm going to give it its worth, and I'm going to burn it. And so this defection from Artemis threatened the businesses and all these people, these craftsmen that were making these shrines and all of these uh, statues. Again, one of them was a wealthy man named Demetrius. He had come, and he had said, uh, you know, we got to put an end to this. They're, you know, they're going to ruin the economy, <laughs> <laughs> the economy was going well in Ephesus at this time, but they said, well, people coming to Jesus, what are we going to do? It'd be like today in our day and age if people or so many people are coming to Jesus that pot shops are closing down because people are getting saved. Bars are closing down because people are getting saved, you know, and, and websites are having to close down because people are getting saved. They're, they're coming to Jesus. 
You see, there, there's, there's two roads in life. There's that road with Jesus and then the road without Jesus. And, and so this Demetrius took notice of this and he says, you know what, we've got to do something about this. And he doesn't realize how much better life can be with Jesus. He's never come to this place of understanding Jesus. So he's listening to this preacher, Paul, who's saying, you know, Jesus is the only way. And everybody's seeing a, an onslaught of people. You know, my friends saw this when my brother got saved in 1988. They saw it when I got saved in 1989. They saw it when my mother got saved, my sister got saved, my nephew got saved, and so forth, and your family as well. You've witnessed people coming to faith in Christ. You're like uh, scratching your head going, what's up with that? You know, I remember when my brother first got saved, he would carry his Bible around everywhere he went. He'd come over to our house for Thanksgiving, you know, and I was a saved man. I, you know, got some things in the refrigerator and things in the bedroom that don't merit being mentioned, nonetheless being in the presence of people. And and my brother would bring his Bible and he'd just sit there and read it. Take a walk, sit on the bench and read the Bible. I'm thinking, what's wrong with this guy? Right? But that's what God does. And so Demetrius comes to this place in Acts chapter 19, verse 25, and he says this to the men that are around him, his fellow craftsmen. He says, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and you hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned many people, uh, turned away many people saying that they are not gods. You know, these things that you got to nail down on the ground and make with your hands, which we made with our hands. He says, so not only this trade of ours is in danger of falling in dis into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed. <laughs> Whom all Asia and the world worship. Now listen, they were worried about their God being offended and people not following their God because uh, ooh, they're not going to be, be the popular vote here. Our God stands strong no matter whether people believe in him or not. He is still the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's, you know, you think about what's going on here in Ephesus. It was kind of a sad saying because when the people heard these things, they became very angry. They were more in tune with the economy going on. You know, like, yeah, man, you're right. How am I going to pay my bills and all this stuff? They weren't thinking that God's going to take care of you. I mean, you have to work, but God will take care of you. And in verse 28, it says that now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And so the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, the Macedonians, Paul's traveling companions. You see, Demetrius provoked this furious uprising. And you know what it's like. People just begin to hear this uproar. You know, I was asking a young man yesterday, I said, So what do you, what do you believe? I mean, you know, I said, hey, you're of age to vote. It was a young man at a, a service. Where, you're at young age to vote. How do, how do you vote? And he goes, well, I'm going to vote this manner, and I won't get into it, but I'm going to vote in this manner. And I said, oh, really? Do you know what they believe or what this person believes or what that believes? And he said, wow, I didn't think about all that. But see, there's uproar going on. And, and nobody knows what they're in Ephesus. Nobody knew what was going on. But one man started this uproar, and all of a sudden the people are going, yeah, great is Diana. They don't even know what they're chanting for they just get behind it because it's all they've known. And they come to this place in, in Demetrius again, uh, you know, stirring the crowds. They start saying, great is Diana. And for two hours, they're saying this. Great is Diana, great is Diana. And they're saying, great is Diana. Oh, my goodness. But then the, the town clerk comes on the scene, 
and he quiets the crowd. He draws their attention to the, you, you know, you know uh, to the Ephesians had with this unique goddess. And listen to what he said. He says, and I'm reading all out of Acts 19. He says, and when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. So despite all the attacks that are going on, you know, while Paul's in Ephesus, there's this incredible thing that takes place. In, in the midst of all this pagan worship, in the midst of all this magic, in the midst of all this adultery, the temple prostitutes that would come down into the city, all of this stuff that's going on, there was this church that started. The church of Ephesus that Timothy is pastoring here. And all of a sudden, Timothy is called upon to settle some problems that have crept up in the church. And isn't it true that wherever God begins a work, somebody wants to destroy it? The enemy wants to destroy it. Well, that's what we're seeing in Ephesus. And Paul, he's writing to Timothy and he's encouraging him saying, listen, I want you to understand the exceptional beauty of God's grace. I want you to understand what it is because you can't fight against the culture out there you can't, you're not to fight against it. What you're to do is be, a, you're to dispense God's grace, not only in your own life, but in the lives of others. Because the only thing that's going to change us is God's grace. The only thing that's, gonna, that's willing to reside in a person who's lived such a dark life. And, I, and then whenever I say this, I look at myself. Who's lived such a dark life, you know, prior to Christ. And knowing that, you know, what do I do? You know, not many friends, you know, I mean, you had people that, that lived that dark world that hung out with you. But, you know, it's, it's like you come to this place and when you're at the point, maybe you don't even want to deal with yourself, God's grace is willing. God's grace is wanting to come in. A person can be so disgusted with their past or, you know, even their present situation that they can't go another day thinking about what they've done. I mean, I, th I used to think of my own life, how many things that I've done bad and oh my goodness. But then it's God's grace that stands at the door of the heart and knocks and says, you know what? I don't care what you've done. I'm here to save you. And that's the grace of God. You see, there's only one sin that God will not forgive. Only one. And th that's the sin, the, the, it's called the unpardonable sin, and that's where one blasphemes the Holy Spirit. And let me explain what that is. The blaspheme of the Holy Spirit is saying that God can't save man. And you die in that state. That God can't save you. You might be here this morning, maybe your first time here. You've never been saved before. You've never given your life to the Lord. And you're wondering, well, you know what? God can't save me. Well, you have to have faith in that too, because God can save anyone. <laughs> Look it. I mean, if God can save me, he can save any of you. And God can save any of you, he can save me. It's just the way it works. And so that unpardonable sin is the one where, you're, where that person will deny the existence that Jesus Christ can save a person. And they're saying, no, he can't. He is not the way. I'm going to figure out life on my own. I don't need Jesus. That is the unpardonable sin. See, God doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care how dark your past was. There was a thief on the cross when Jesus was on the cross. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. That guy acknowledged Jesus for who he was. So it's not, he didn't have a concern with what the guy had done. He'd say, well, let me see, what did you steal? Did you ever steal from the temple? Did you ever steal, you know, he wasn't concerned with that. He was, the, the thing that Jesus was concerned about is that thief on the cross would come to God, would come to Jesus and acknowledge him for who he is. He was the son of God. 
He was the one who would die for the sins of the world. Now, and we pick it up in chapter 12. And Paul writing, the first thing he points out here, now remember Paul, we'll get into his history a little bit, but he says, and I thank, Je- I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. So the first thing that Paul is thankful for is remembering the grace of God. He said, I thank God. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, Paul was thankful for the grace of God in his life. Do you understand where he was and where he's at? Thankful because he knew that without the grace of God being poured out in his life, he knew the direction his life was headed. Thankful because the only way he can get his life right was because of God's grace being poured out in his life. Remember he thought, and this is Paul, Paul had thought that, you know, everything that I'm doing, I'm doing, he thought he was doing the will of God. He thought he was this spiritual guy who was out trying to cleanse and purge the world of Christians. He was bringing them into captivity. He was, you know, even destroying and murdering even the the sight of uh, Stephen, we see in Acts chapter 7. And he comes to this place, though, saying, you know what? I am so thankful. I thank Jesus Christ. I think about that. I think in my own life how thankful I am for the grace of God. Paul here is ecstatic because of the grace of God. He knew where he was headed. It didn't matter how religious he was. I mean, I remember as a child trying to hold up that Bible for Father Bourgeois. And he was reading, I'd say, uh, wake up, Father Bourgeois. It's time to get to the Word. And he would, you know, kind of like have, having a hard time. And I, I can recite a Mass, even almost to this day, almost. But I thought I was a really spiritual guy. But I was so empty inside. And Paul realized that in his own life, that he was trying to do the right thing for God. But everything that he was doing, he was so empty inside. And whether you're doing the right thing for God or not, you have to understand that. Or do you have Christ inside? Because if you don't have Christ inside, then you're empty inside. It's just plain empty. And many times we hear of this testimony of some radical past and we ooh and awe over that. You know, like we, we look at how bad a person was or, you know, how, uh, uh, you know, terribly dark their life was. And we go, you know, we ooh and awe over that. But it doesn't matter how dark a life was or maybe even how angelic you were brought up. In each of us, we, in every one of us, we ought to be in awe over the grace of God that he's given to us and saved, and what he saved us from. Now, have you ever thought about a certain person that you thought, man, that person will never get saved? You ever thought about that? Well, that was you prior to you getting saved. People used to trip on you thinking, that person, they're just a drunk. They're just a beep. They're just a beep. You know, and fill in the blank. But until Christ came onto the scene, right? I used to think that of me. There's no way they're going to get saved. That person was me and it was you. And you might not have a testimony like Paul. Maybe you had little pigtails. You grew up and little girl had pigtails and you had a little dress and you looked pretty your whole life. And you're a little boy who had, still you're a sinner. And you need, you, need, you need to have Christ in your life. But it, it gives us no reason that we should, um, you know, never be thankful. Even the upbringing that we have. Even my kids, you know, I think of my kids. When I got saved, my kids, two kids were very young. And, and they accepted Christ at a young age. They never had to deal with the alcohol, the drugs, or the things that I did when I was a child. But that should give them all the more reason to be thankful. Yeah, right? They don't have to, they have to go through the things that I went through. God saved them from those things. And so they should be ever so thankful for the grace of God because I went through the life that they don't have to go through. And they can look and say, well, Lord, I'm thankful you saved half of my dad's brain. 
and that you can, you know, that he's a, he's a man that loves you. And I'm so thankful that we were brought up in this home that, that loves you. And I don't have to go through that stuff that he went through. And I'm, I'm thankful that he's open about those things. You know, and you ever think about a newborn child? I was thinking about Abigail because she was just born, but not Abigail if you're watching online. Not Abigail, Grandma and Grandpa. But you ever think of a newborn child and you think how wonderful they are, precious? And they are, right? They pray, oh, you're so precious. Until they turn about two. Then your theology gets correct. You little, <laughs> you're going through the terrible twos, you know. But really, as a, as a child, they're like, you're a little precious, but really, you're a depraved little kid. Because that's what they are. They're born into sin, right? But, you know, we say, look at that sinner. Well, we say, look at that precious child. Their, their, their life just matches them when they get to be two years old. But it doesn't matter, right? The minute we're born, every one of us, we're born into this world of sin, and each and every one of us has to make a decision, and we should be ever so thankful that we live in a country, that we're in a church to where, um, you know, the grace of God, the truth of God's word is being brought out, that we can sit there and say, man, I am thankful for the grace of God. Thankful that I can't, I don't have to work or jump through hoops or anything like that. See, you may have, you may have someone in mind that, that uh, God has saved and you've not received them. Listen, God's grace can save anyone. That's the only way to get saved. This young man on the video, my life, your life, it's the same way. It's only through God's grace that we can be saved. Now, we'll see in Paul's past in, in chapter 13 that he was a blasphemer. He's a murderer. How bad have you been? How bad have you been? He was a, a murderer, consenting the death of Stephen. And what is keeping you from Jesus? Let me tell you this, it's not him. It's not Jesus. His arms are open wide. Now, not only does God save us, but then he, he has works for us. And in Paul's life, he called him into the ministry. And look at verse 12. He says, I thank, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who enabled me, who strengthened me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. This is a life that's changed, right? You see that? Paul was a murderer. He's been changed from murderer to preacher. In God's economy, he doesn't look at your past because it's been forgiven and say, well, this is what you can and cannot do. In God's economy, he just wants men and women, no matter what they've done in their life, to surrender to him. You know, when you see people's hands raised in church and like this, it's like a sign of, well, maybe some of you have been there before Christ. <laughs> You're under arrest, right? And for you and I, we raise our hands to the Lord and we're saying, you know, I've surrendered my life to you. I give my life to you. It's that sign of just saying, man, I've been set free. I've been set free. I'm so thankful for that. And so we come and we just pray, hallelujah, God, you saved me. And, and you think in Paul's life how he wants to use us. He doesn't just want to save us, but then he puts us in the most important thing, which is the body of Christ. You see, God is the only one who's faithful to wash somebody's dark past, and then he's the only one who is faithful to equip them for the calling that he's called them to. You know, and by the way, every one of us is called to the ministry. Not just because of pastor, but every one of us is called. You're born again. Are you answering the call? Because you're called to the ministry of reconciliation. You have the good news of Jesus Christ in your hearts. And you should be sending that message out. You should be living that message out. Remember, Paul said in Ephesians 2, he said, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, listen, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we get saved and we come to this place, and we say, God, thank you so much for saving me. Now what do you want me to do for you? 
I mean, I understand that we have to have time. We don't lay hands on anybody real quickly, but we got to have time to, you know, get these people, get them discipled. But it's like, as a young Christian, you guys know my story. I was sitting there in San Diego and, and uh, just gotten saved and said, Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? My life belongs to you. Remember, remember the day I met him in, in uh, the Anine Convention Center and I came to Christ and I, he says, I want your life. And I go, oh, you want this? It's messed up. But if you want it, I'll give it to you. I mean, whatever you can do with it, good luck. Because I made a mess out of my life, a mess out of my marriage, a mess out of being a father, a mess out of these things. He says, that's good. Now I'll get the glory for everything I do. Right? And so you look at these things and he says, I've got good works for you. And he's seeing the same thing for each of us. I've got good works for you. Because now that we come to faith in Christ, we're a part of the body. We're not amputees sitting over on the side. But we're a part of the body to where we, we're actively, okay, this is a part of the body I'm in. This, I go to this church. I attend this church. How does God want to use me? And prior to Christ, you know, a lot of us, many of us, all of us live for ourselves. But now that we're saved, we're, we're to seek him out and say, God, what do you have for me? What might it be? What might it be in the body of Christ that you have for me? And we're to be bold about that and say, God, here I am, use me. And some think that they have nothing to offer. Oh, I don't have anything to offer. Well, I'm just out of high school. I have nothing to offer. Listen, you guys have everything to offer. And you might say, well, I'm too old. What can I? No, you have everything to offer. Listen, all too often we look at ourselves and saying, I have nothing to offer. You know why? That's what Moses did, right? When Moses was called, he began to make excuses. You know, I, Lord, what am I going to say? Lord, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Remember the Lord said this, Paul writing this down. He said that God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So Paul was wise. He said, not many are wise. Paul was a wise man. He had, was schooled in, in the Old Testament. He, was, he knew he had wisdom. But what he, didn't, what he didn't have, like you and I have, is to understand that even the foolish, God takes that, the foolishness of us, and he wants to use us. It doesn't matter where we've been. Listen, I, I shared a story a long time ago, but it's true. Um, not that any of them are not true. <laughs> I'll let you know they're not true. But uh, when we first started the church, there was a, a request come in from a church that uh, it was from a, a town that was a little ways away, but they said they're looking for a pastor. And I sent out this resume and they said, oh yeah, we'd love to hear from you. I said, well, my heart is called. I feel called. They said, what's your resume? And I said, well, I'm a, just a foolish servant of God. I said, I, I'm just a fool for Christ. I, here's my past. Boom, boom, boom. Drugs, alcohol. God free me from that. He go, uh, we're looking for somebody a little more experienced. <laughs> I understand. I get that. But again, something we have nothing to offer. You have everything to offer. You have your faithfulness to offer. Just coming to the Lord. You see, I challenge every one of us that if you're saved this morning, let God do with you what he wants to do with you. And every generation, we need to count the cost in following God. I don't want to have any, you know, um, handcuffs and say, God, you can only do this with me. Or I don't want to have any parameter to say, God, I'm only going to do that for you. If our lives have been bought with a price, then we're to say, Lord, my life belongs to you. Do with it as you see fit. And it's amazing what he can do. So Paul, he's just thankful for God that he's called him into the ministry. Now, we look at his resume. Look at verses 12. He says, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who enabled me because he counted me faithful. He counted me faithful. Can you believe that? Paul's faithful? You know, when we first got our first building, uh, we were meeting downtown Longview, and the guy handed me the key to the building. I almost started laughing. I said, he, no questions asked? The same thing when we got in here. But, the, you know, I'm 
been in, been around the corner a few times. But he says, I, I mean, this is the first time I've ever pastored, you know, senior pastor at church. And uh, we were up there and he gave me the keys to his million dollar building. I'm thinking, does he know who I am? No credit check? Wow, this is crazy. But, you know, we get this building and the, the, the ministry began. So he said, I thank, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me, in, putting me into the ministry, although I was, listen, formerly. This is, listen, Paul, prior to being justified, justified is just as if you'd never sinned, right? So you come to Christ and he washes you completely. So I was formerly, and Paul, Paul also knew that this was no longer his life because all things have passed away. I was formerly a blasphemer. He was one that's saying Christ can't save. <clears throat> Paul was one that would walk out there and say Jesus is not the way, and he would arrest any of those who were of the way. And he says, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor. He persecuted men and women. He said things to, to them and about them to discourage them not to walk in the way, not to walk with Jesus. Maybe you've done that. And, and an insolent man, it was very angry. He was just so upset, man, he didn't understand why people would follow God at all. Why would you follow after this Jesus? I mean, he was just angry. It happened. He thought he had it down. And, and that's what happens. It doesn't matter whether people are religious or not. They think they have life down. But they never think why they were created. You weren't created to have life down to do your thing, to have your 2.5 kids and, you know, white picket fence and the, you know, the acres and whatever else may, life may offer you. You're there. You were created because God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And the only way that we can have a relationship with our creator is to have our sin forgiven. And that was for Jesus Christ to come down and die for the sins of the world. And then that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so Paul realized this. He goes, you know what? I was an angry man, but he says, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. You see, Paul, just like you and I before Christ, we didn't know we were ignorant. And we thought we had it all together. I thought I had this understanding. Well, God and I have this understanding. I used to say that. We have this understanding. God don't bother him. He doesn't bother me. Woo, was I wrong. And I'm so glad he bothered me. I'm so glad he woke me up. I'm so glad he shook me to my core and said, well, you, you need is Jesus Christ. You need, you need me and you need me to be saved. Because I always knew in my heart there's a God. But I just didn't know how to have that relationship with him. And Paul saying, you know what? And that was being ignorant like the Apostle Paul here. So what Paul thought he was doing by persecuting the church was a religious thing. And it was a good thing. He thought that he was doing God's will by persecuting the church. But all this zeal that he had was making him mad. And aren't you glad that God deals gently with the ignorant and the foolish? Aren't you glad? I'm so thankful. Aren't you thankful that you didn't get what you deserved? That's called mercy. Aren't you glad that you received from God what you didn't deserve? That's called His grace. In Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says this about Paul, who was Saul before he was saved. He says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. The church at one time feared Saul, or Paul, that's who he's become. They feared him. I mean, they wanted nothing to do with him. They, look, at this guy had a bad reputation. You know, the first time I came to church, I imagine I probably stumbled some people. They go, what's that guy doing here? You know, what's he doing here? I show up with my wife, and we're all happy in there. What's he doing here? 
In fact, when the Lord met Saul on the road to Damascus, he sent a uh, fellow by the name of Ananias. And Ananias was coming to Saul and was supposed to go to Saul that he might receive his sight. Let me remind you of what Ananias said, something like this. You got to be kidding me, God. You want me to go where? That man has breathed threats upon the church and I kind of like my life. <laughs> That's paraphrasing it pretty accurately, isn't it? In verse nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, he said, go. So he's saying, I want you to go to Saul. He says, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and, and the, the, the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. So listen, the person that you and I have to receive or should be receiving may be a person that God has a calling upon their life that is going to be used in a, in a crazy way. But it's only by God's grace. But he wants you and I, those who have received Jesus Christ in our lives, to go out and give them the invitation. Come. And he says, and, and, and uh, Ananias hears from Paul or from, from the Lord, and he says, go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine. And what did Ananias do? Look at verse 17 of Acts 9. He says, and Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying hands upon him. Listen, brother Saul. Not enemy Saul. Not Saul. God has something for you. But I got to clear some things up. Oh. The moment God enters your life through Jesus Christ, you are a brother and you are a sister. You understand that? Well, we call everybody bros around here because we can't remember names. But really, to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it's because you're a brother or sister, right? You've given your life to Jesus Christ. And you come to this place, he says, Brother Saul, how wonderful it is when I got saved. And my brother looked at me, and he says, Brother Al. Not just brother as husband, I mean, as brothers and paternal. But now... I was truly a brother in the Lord. And there's no greater than that. I was talking to somebody yesterday, sharing with them, you know, they were going through some difficulties in life and some issues. And I said, you know, isn't it incredible that we have the body of Christ, the family? And they looked at me and started weeping. And then I said, isn't it true? Because we have one another. We're not perfect, but we have one another. We have one and we need one another. We're not perfect. We go through things in life, but we have one another. You see, Paul... Paul was formerly a blasphemer and a murderer, but now he's a new creation. No matter who he was, it didn't matter his past, God got a hold of him. And, and listen, in 2 Corinthians, kind of my life verse, I love this because it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Isn't that wonderful? If anyone, it doesn't matter Saul, Ananias, Al, Rick, it doesn't matter who our names are. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You know, the only one that can spell my name correctly is the Lamb's Book of Life. And though, if I ask all of you, how do you spell Aloysius? My daughter might know now. She's only, you know, after some time. But the Lamb's Book of Life clearly spells it. Aloysius John Frederick II, present and accounted for. But he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things become new. This is what God does by his grace. He takes us from that life, no matter what we were. See, we get hung up on that sometimes, right? 
I remember all the things that I've done. I remember all the things that I used to do. But he says, I forget about that. I've forgiven you. Come and enjoy the new life with me. You see, you may have had a sailor's mouth or a biggest bully in the world. You must have, you might have been the, the most pious religious person on earth. But the moment you receive Christ in your life, things changed. It's just incredible. I mean, P Paul was what was one of those that you look in your high school yearbook thinking least likely to be saved, right? Least likely to succeed unless he makes it happen on his own. And that's like you and I, least likely to be saved. Even though Paul had a past like he did, God counted him faithful and placed him in the ministry. That's incredible. I tell you guys, I told you this story. I'll make it, make it quick. But I tell them, you know how your pastor was first educated? Hanna-Barbera. And they go, what? I said, yeah. I said, when I first got saved, the kids couldn't go out and play until we watched our Hanna-Barbera videos. I had my Bible open because I was a visual learner. And I'm looking at David and Daniel and the lion and all these things. I'm looking at this stuff. And I'm reading and I'm doing other studies. Don't get me wrong. But, but that's how I cut my teeth. And people go, you go to the church of pastor? He's got an he a, a, a associate with Hanna-Barbera? Well, you know what? God uses us, doesn't he? That's not where I get my studies from anymore. <laughs> But what does your past look like? Do you think it's so spotted that God can't save you? Or listen, you might even say you're saved and you come to this point and say, you know what? I'm only a Sunday school teacher. How's God want to use me? I'm only a Sunday school teacher? How many times did you used to teach people the ways of the world and now God has made it a privilege to you. He's put you in the ministry teaching these young children the truth. You might say, well, I'm only an usher. What good is that? Oh, what good is that? You know how many people that I ushered into the dark theaters of this world? And now you have the ushering them into his presence, into a sanctuary? That's changing God. Somebody at the front door might be looking at you saying, oh, boy, I ain't going to that church. I remember that person. Hey, welcome, man. God is good. Because you've been changed. Because God has come into your life and he's changed you. You see, you never get the idea that you know, God, we can't do anything for God that he doesn't want us to do, that he, that he wants us to do. We can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. But nor should we ever think that God, uh, you know, must use us because we're super gifted. It's by his grace. You see, from where Paul was to where he is, it's because the Lord counted him faithful. For where you and I were to where we are now, we should be shouting from the rooftops, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know, you ever see somebody that just doesn't stop smiling? And you think, what are those guys got in them? Well, they should be Christ. And it should be each of us that can't stop smiling. I am so thankful to be saved. And then look at this. We'll see the great grace in, in verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. That means overflowing with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Exceedingly abundant kind of it refers to this overflowing the river banks. That's how God... Grace, big God's gracious. It's like it doesn't matter that Paul was a murderer or, a, you know, a blasphemer. It was exceeding grace that met him. It jumped the riverbanks of, of natural, the natural mind, and it went into to meet the, the sinners in their greatest need. You see, God through Jesus Christ is pouring out his grace. The entire world needs to understand that it's by faith in Jesus Christ. It's by trusting God. It's by understanding that he died for us. He sent his son. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And we can have, you know, you think about all the hatred that's in the world today. You think about all the division, all the cheating, all the lying, 
all the catechism, all this stuff that's going on, God's grace can settle it. If we just understand that there is a God, there is somebody in control, there is somebody that can settle the matter, and it's at the cross of Jesus Christ, and it's by His grace. Marriages can be healed. Forgiveness can be given. Healing can begin to take place when people understand that God's grace is what they need. It's His great grace. Listen, He just doesn't want to save us. He just doesn't want to save us. That's just one step but he also wants to be everything to us that he wants, that he needs us to be, that we need him to be. He wants us to be, we need him to be that healer. Some of us come into a relationship with God, and, and, and this, is a, this is kind of an issue that we, we got to work past. We come into a relationship with God, we're like so thankful to be forgiven, but then we have all this stuff in our lives that, you know, well, what about the guys that hurt me and the, the people that hurt me when I was a kid? And all, what, what about all this stuff? And it's a real deal. But God says, not only do I want to save you, but my great grace, I want to wash over you. I want to be your healer. I want to be your mighty counselor. I want to be everything to you that I can be to you. And this is what the world needs, but this is also what the church needs to understand as well. Our thanksgiving can be a testimony to the rest of the world that we are truly thankful and that we are truly saved and born again. The world needs to see, well, what is God going to do for me? Just to be forgiven? I don't know. He wants to forgive you, first step, justification. Then he wants to sanctify you. What is that? There's three, three steps in, in, in being uh, born again, uh, being salvation, being justified, just as if you never seen you come to Christ. Sanctification, going through life and, and having your life changed, having your life you know, just stripped of yourself and being brought in the presence of God. And then glorification. What is that? So when we're in heaven, out of here. That's when it's complete. And look at verse 15, because Paul says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I have chief. Number one, he came to save sinners. Why does the church exist? To give that message out. Jesus Christ came to save you. If you're here this morning or watching online, understand that, that Jesus loves you and he cares for you. He came to save you, right? He came to save you came to save you. And the other thing that Paul says is, of whom I am chief. He says, I'm chief. This is humility. See, Paul understood that he's still a sinner. Just because he was saved doesn't mean he's better than anybody. As a matter of fact, as he grew, listen to his heart, because he grows in the Lord, humility would become a staple of Paul's life. First Corinthians 15, he said, in verse 9, he said, for I am the least of the apostles, okay, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Though he was called an apostle by God, and, and then as he grew, grew a little older, a little wiser, in, in uh, Ephesians 3.8, he says, To me who am less than the least of the saints, this grace is given to me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So he understands that not only is he forgiven, but not only is he the chiefest of sinners, but I am the least of the apostles. It's humility. And then in Romans chapter 7, he gives this incredible testimony, I believe, of his own life. And he says, he's saved at this time. And he's saying, you know what? Why do I do the things that I don't want to do, the things that I do that I don't practice, these things that I do? Why do I keep falling into this thing? Why? He goes, and I believe that's his life. But he realized that who can save me from this life, uh, this wretched life? It was only Jesus Christ. But all that time, it's been God perfecting him. God perfecting him. And then let's close in verse 16 and 17 because he writes this, he's a trophy of God's grace. He says, however, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first Christ Jesus might show all the long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And so wherever Paul would go to, 
Ephesians or Corinth or Rome. He was a trophy of God's grace. Many of you might have these trophies, whether they're bucks on the wall, you know, animals you've killed. I used to have this trophy case, a whole room, uh, you know, with trophies in them, showing of your achievements, right? You go, man, you like to bring people over. Man, I got that one from 200 yards. Man, I hit 400 in that tournament, you know, or whatever the case may be. And we show these things all so proud of what we what we've accomplished in life and so excited to show to people. But God, too, whenever and wherever we are, we are his trophies of his grace. Can you imagine that? When, he, when God sends us wherever he sends us, and, and a lot of you, like myself, might be from California. Don't hold it against us. We're just born there. I didn't say anything about it. God wanted me there. And I'm thankful to be from San Diego, now that I've said that. <laughs> but anyway, we, we come to this place of understanding this. Listen, we're understanding that we're a trophy of his grace. So wherever we go, when I, I just received a phone call from an elementary, junior high, and high school friend of mine. He goes, oh, man, what has gotten into you? And I said, oh, I got saved about 30 years ago. He goes, you got to be kidding me. He gave my whole testimony. What is that? Was I boasting? No, I was a trophy. You're a trophy wherever you go. Hey, I knew you. Ooh, who are you? You're, oh, you're that person. No, but you're saying, but I'm that trophy. And a trophy is something that you put in a position that I say, man, I'm going to show that off to others. And that's what God wants to do in your life. Maybe you're here this morning. And I just sense this, that you're here this morning or watching online, that you're thinking, you know what, um, I don't want, uh, people are going to know that I'm saved and I give my life. Yeah, you're not here to glorify yourself. You're here to glorify God. And that's what he wants to do in your life. And so God, wherever we go, we're trophies of his grace. I think of my sister, Karen, who was up here for many years. She's with the Lord now. Many of you know her. Incredible testimony. A trophy of God's grace. I think of my mother at the age of 77 years old, giving her life to Jesus. And she lived for three years with Christ in her life. Now she's living with eternity with Christ. It's just incredible. And God, people know who, who you for, who you are right now. Whatever that, you know, you're born in 19, you know, whatever. And then you've got that dash and then you're going to pass away, whatever on this. But what they know you for whatever you're pouring into that life, you know, that dash. Oh, yeah, I... You know, we were at a service yesterday. We'll be at a service uh, uh, this afternoon when we leave here. Um, people that have passed away, and they'll tell testimonies of people's lives. But listen, what are they saying about you? And here's the thing. I, don't, I really don't care what people say about me, but here's the thing. You get, you get my drift. How do they know me? And in December 9th, 1989, I emptied that life out. And it began to fill it up anew with the things of Christ. And though people will remember that past, they, they'll have to look to the future. They have to look to the present and say, man, but he has changed. Same thing in your life. We're trophies of God's grace. You see, Paul was an example. He was not only a minister, but he came an example. This is the way I'm going to live my life. And, and he saw that God was a pattern. There's a pattern. Jesus said this in Mark 10, 45. He said, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and lay his life a ransom for many. That's a pattern for our lives. You want to pattern your life after Christ, just lay it down. Lay it down. And so what, what, what did, you know, think, what did this example look like in Paul's life? Well, maybe none of us have experienced the same things that Paul did, you know, especially coming to Christ on the road to Damascus and God meets him there. Maybe we didn't see a light fall to the ground and hear Jesus speak from heaven. But he is a pattern or a type to all lost sinners, for he is the chief sinner. And in, in Paul is proof that God's grace can change any sinner. 
I don't know what's keeping you from God if you're here this morning, but God has the power to change. He has the power to forgive, but you have to mix faith with it. You have to say, Lord, I, I believe that. I believe that. I, I, I want to have my life changed. And you can surrender your life to Jesus this morning. Now, look at verse 17 really quick. He says, now to King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Look at, he's tr truly worthy of all of our praise. God is. And now knowing that his grace is sufficient and our hearts and our voices ought to be lifted to heaven forever, saying glory forever and ever to you, Lord. So again, like Paul, have you received his grace this morning? Have you received the grace of God in your life? Does your life show the thanksgiving? Maybe you're a Christian. Does your life show the thanksgiving toward the grace that you've received? The third thing, are you allowing yourself to be a trophy displayed by His grace? And number four, what is your life displaying in all? And may it be that if you're not walking with God, you don't have a relationship with Him this morning, you understand that it's only by grace you can be saved. Don't go back and try and figure out life just this morning as you're here. Surrender your life to Him and give your life to Him and, and, and incredible things that will be. So let's bow our hearts in prayer. As we close, the worship team will come back up. And I want to, I want to encourage you this morning. I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe that you're here by any other reason than to hear that God loves you, that God cares for you, and the only way that you can be saved is by His grace. And the challenge is for you to change your life, to, to give your life to Him. No doubt that's the challenge, the message that Paul had shared in his own life. For everyone here that doesn't have that relationship with Jesus, God loves you and He cares for you. Just understand that. He doesn't care what you've done. He cares what you're going to do today with the invitation. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.